Welcome to the Always Better Than Yesterday podcast. I am your host, Ryan Hartley. This podcast is for heart-centered leaders just like you. I hope our time spent together helps you leave a heart print where those around you are left better than yesterday. These interview sessions are sponsored by our great friends at Elevate Online Marketing. On episode 199, I'm joined by Sarah Arnold Hall. Sarah is a high performance coach and she is the host of the podcast, How to Take Action. Sarah helps people take action. We have an amazing conversation about action, about procrastination and all the good things that she is putting out into the world. I came across Sarah through an image that she shared on her Instagram profile. I highly recommend you go check that out at Sarah Arnold Hall and it's the one that's pinned top left of her grid. It's all about showing up daily. I think she's perfectly articulated what it means to show up and give your best and the difference between what we think that means and what it actually means. We have a wonderful conversation. I hope this conversation inspires you to take meaningful action in your life and I hope that it leaves you better than you were yesterday. Here we go, episode 199 with Sarah Arnold Hall. Sarah, welcome to Always Best in Yesterday podcast. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. I love that um, you're here. I love your the things that you put out into the world. And you're really passionate about impossible, doing the impossible, but more specifically for women. I, I heard you say that uh, the current generation of women are standing on the shoulders of all those that have gone before. Like, what does that really mean to you? What does that really inspire in you? Mm, the idea of that came from my grandma, who mm. is an incredible woman. She's worked so hard to support her community. She actually received an award from the Queen wow. uh, for it, for all of the service she's done for the community. And sh she kind of also talks about standing on the shoulders of the women who got her to be where she is. So the suffragettes who allowed her to be someone who could have a bank account and could have um the right to own property and lots of and tons of different other um fantastic rights that we should all have and so I was like well if she's standing on those shoulders like then I must be really standing on the shoulders of of so many other amazing women and I realized that actually it's um I think it's my duty to go after the things that I truly want because so many women in the past couldn't do that. And they are now in the situation or I'm now in the situation where I can. And so I think, how could I not when mm. so many women fought for the right to have, and not just women too, men as well. Plenty of men were fighting for these rights too. And, and so many different people will be standing on the shoulders of their generations of amazing people. But without them, we wouldn't really have the opportunities we have today. And I'm like, let's not waste them. Mm. Do you think there's... um Stigma is probably too strong a word, but but uh, ambition um, does, does that bring about some kind of judgments and barriers? Like how how does that um, how do you navigate being an ambitious woman? Yeah, definitely in New Zealand we have right. a lot of what's called tall poppy syndrome. Do you know that saying? I've heard that for yeah, an Australian friend of mine introduced me to that. So it's uh, maybe it's a down under thing. Yes, I think it's a down under thing we have. So tall poppy syndrome is the idea that there would be a tall poppy in a field of other poppies and we want to mm. chop it down because it doesn't look like all the other nice ones. Um, mm. And 
we do have a bit of that in New Zealand. I think it's prevalent all around the world, but particularly in New Zealand, this kind of idea that you should be happy with what you have mm. and grateful for that. And you don't want to be ambitious because who are you to go after your dreams? You should be helping everyone else. It shouldn't be, you know, it should never have a selfish um, kind of means to it. But I think if we all go after the things that truly make us happy, we're going to inspire others to be that. There's actually a beautiful Marianne Williamson quote that says, mm -hmm. Um, when you shine, you give permission for other people to shine. Mm. So I'm good. I butchered it, but it's something like that. Yeah, I, I really buy into that phrase. Is um, so you know you you've 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 chosen to use coaching, which is a wonderful, powerful tool. You and I, you know, share the passion for coaching. And you know why why is it that you're inspired then to to help people take action? Mm. I realize that it's like the core of so many issues. So we have the internet now, we have Google. You can pretty much Google your problem and get a ton of different answers of how mm. to achieve it or your goal. And there's just so much information about what to do. But then why are we all not having, why are we all not achieved our goals yet? Like it comes down to because we're not doing the things. Mm. And for me, that used to be a huge problem. I really struggled with procrastination. I wanted to start a business. In fact, I tried to start many businesses. I had that starting energy, but yeah. not the follow through energy. And once I figured out how to get myself to do stuff, I started documenting that process and sharing it online. And people were like, how did you get yourself to go down to the mall and just ask strangers to subscribe to your YouTube channel? Mm. Like, and I was like, well, I've got all the tools now to get myself to take action. So I think that that's what's missing. And I think if we could help the whole world figure out how to get themselves to take action, yeah, we would have, I mean, we'd have a different climate, like the whole climate issue would be a whole other thing, I think. Mm, yeah, that's really powerful. I, I interviewed a guy called Dr. John Demartini. And he was saying that like creation at a molecular level is the synthesis of opposites, uh, a thesis and an antithesis. It's beyond my, it's beyond my grasp, but I get the concept, which is that, you know, there is a, an element of duality and, and polarity in our lives. And obviously the opposite of, of action is inaction. And I know on your website, you have a quiz for procrastination, which I procrastinated doing, but <laughs> why, why might, <laughs> you know, I guess, you know, cause sometimes we can focus on taking more action, which is fine. But I, I also believe that there's like an elastic band at play, which means that sometimes to go more into action, we might have to ease the tension for the inaction. In your experience, what, what, what are some of the ways maybe you uh, procrastinated or all the people that you, you serve and work with, and what are some of the core causes of procrastination? Yeah, well, ultimately procrastination is an action, even if it doesn't look like right? action, it's yeah. usually some kind of action. So our actions come from our emotions. We do or don't do things based on what we feel. Yeah. And so the five things that I see that are the most common for people procrastinating, this is totally the quiz. So if you want to do the quiz, I'm going to share it with you now, but there, there are five emotions. And so what they are, are confusion, overwhelm, self-doubt, fear, and lethargy. These mm. are the five key emotions. There are some others, but I think they mostly fall into these categories. And if you can identify what is the particular emotion that's holding you back, which one of those five is the main one, you are halfway there because you're mm. able to go, okay, so I'm confused. Why am I confused? What's going on? Or I'm overwhelmed or I'm just 
don't really feel like doing it. I'm feeling lethargic. That's kind of the, um, I think what I see is the main things that I've worked with my clients on that are holding them back. Hey, my friends, I hope you're enjoying the interview so far. Just wanted to take a quick moment to let you know that we are in the middle of our first cohort of Good Fathers, a six-week group coaching program for dads. It is my heart to create a space for these good men, to leave them better for those who call them dads. We're having some intentional, purposeful conversations that I can see the men in front of me are transforming in front of my eyes. They are having conversations that they've never had with anyone else and it is powerful and it is going to help them be much more loving and intentional fathers, intentional partners. And because I have such undying belief in the power of this group, I am bringing about a second cohort starting on Monday the 9th of January 2023. We're going to kick off with cohort two. If you are a dad that wants to be even better for those who call you dad, then head over to the website abty.co.uk forward slash goodfathers. The link is in the show notes. Have a look and it'd be my honour and privilege to have you come and join us and other good men from around the world as we journey in what it means to be a good father. Here we go. Back to the interview. Yeah, it's... um. Uh, my my wife sometimes walks past the room and she'll see me clearly like inactive or doing things that are not productive, shall we say? And she's like, "What are you doing?" I'm like, "Oh well, you know, I'm a creative." <laughs> but in really, I'm like yeah. overwhelmed. There is an overwhelm of, "Oh man, my notebook is full. I don't know where to start." And inevitably, scroll hole appears. Mm-hmm. Right. I think actually, what we the problem isn't that we don't want to do it. The problem is expecting ourselves to want to do it in the first place. Like I wake up every morning and I dread doing this. I mean, I dreaded coming on with you, not because I didn't want to, because that's what my body does when it wants to do anything. It's not coming onto this podcast specifically. It was, I was dreading coaching my own clients. I was dreading seeing my own friends sometimes. I dread going to the dance class that I love today. I just dread stuff. I just don't want to do any of it. I'd rather be in bed. (laughs) I'd rather just not do and sometimes I don't even want to go to bed so our brains are just wired I think to stop us from doing anything that's going to expend any energy in case we need that energy to forage for berries or run away from a tiger or something I've come to the understanding that sometimes that's almost like a spiritual warfare it's almost that in dreading or doubting it's almost taking us further away from the very thing that's going to bring more love and light to the world so true and and i know that you've got a really powerful uh, way of rephrasing imposter syndrome do i what is you my, well, what I've is seen my this powerful morning. way of rephrasing to, yeah, imposter syndrome you've said that it's an indicator of ambition oh yes 100 percent. so i think that when we our our view on imposter syndrome is that it's like a bad thing. And I yeah. think that imposter syndrome is a good thing because if you think about any hero's journey that anyone's ever been on, they're underqualified when they begin. They're overambitious and underqualified. I think of like Katniss Everdeen from the Hunger Games or Harry Potter or any anybody who's ever taken on anything where we start out underqualified and that's not a problem we actually become qualified on the journey Mm -hmm. so if you're feeling some imposter syndrome don't let it be a problem let it be normal and be like yeah of course I'm of course I don't feel qualified to do this thing or of course I don't want to do it 
Mm. That's um, that's a message that really resonates with my community. I, I released a, a podcast episode um, about this time last year, and it was exactly on that topic. And 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 I phrased it: um, "We don't need no education." It's a Pink Floyd song, and it, and it was you know obviously we want our doctors and those surgeons to be qualified, right? Because we don't want to be going on their table without knowing that they're at least <laughs> competent, right? But you're absolutely right. You know, for me in, in this podcast journey, um you know confidence has become the result not the requirement of me showing up mm. you know and that and that feeling of imposter you know I, I find it funny I agree with you it is a sign that yeah I just literally haven't done this before no wonder I no wonder I feel like this way and, and the only way to get that gone is to to take action and to do the thing because we're I think we underestimate our, our natural ability to learn you know we touch something hot we learn oh don't do that again so when people say to me, you know, oh, you know, c- give me some feedback, I'm like, no, just just do 10. If you want to start a podcast, just do 10 episodes without judging yourself. You'll know exactly what you want to improve. Mm. Oh, I love that. That's such a good way of thinking about it. Because, just um, show up and do it. Right. Yeah. And one of the, the, the quotes on your grid says, are you willing to be judged? Mm that's outside of our control right right we can't control what other people think of us but you are the master of other people's thoughts in your own mind <laughs> so you get to decide what other people are thinking if you want because we don't know what people are thinking even if i tell you what i'm thinking i could be lying mm-hmm. you will never know what i really think and i'll never know what you really think so therefore why worry about what you're thinking or what I'm thinking? I just can just going to decide that Ryan's excited to have me on his podcast. I'm not going to, I'm just going to be, you know what? That's what I decided that you, that you're feeling because I can never know, even if I ask yeah. you. And then that creates your reality. Our perception will create our reality. And, you know, I, I, I've come to this when it comes to creation, I've, I've come to this binary understanding that we can either do that from the outside in, or we can do that from the inside out. And the outside in is like, okay, well, how does it need to look? What's the expectation on me? What are people going to say about it? You know, you know, what is that cultural expectation? Is it good enough? Almost like giving away my power and I'm, I'm, I'm having to perform to meet some standard versus connect with the love of it, do it for the love of it, share it for the love of it and be an expression of it. And, and I think one of the things that, you know, particularly in, in the business world is there's, there's a question of how are you different? You know, what, what's your, you know, what's your uh, USP? How are you different? And I think when we create from the heart first, we don't understand that question because it's like, I'm not looking around at other people. I'm, mm. I'm expressing myself uh, from a position of love. And, and I guess that judgment starts to quieten down a bit because my guide becomes my inner love and passion for what I'm doing. Ah, oh, I love that so much. It's reminding me when I first started my business, I thought I had to have a niche because it's what everybody says, right? Course, you gotta right? have a niche. You're gonna be in business, you have a niche. Yeah. And there's actually a term that's been coined called niche drama because so many people have niche drama about what, what their niche is gonna be. <laughs> and for so long I tried to pick one and be like, if I would just do this or I'll do that. And then after a while, I was like, I'm kind of just making money without even having a niche. I, and people are like, okay, what do you do as a coach? What's your niche? I'm like, I help people 
do things that they want to do. Mm. I help people, anyone achieve mm. anything. My, I mean, I'm kind of have a broad Which is like the opposite of, of a niche, right? That is like, right? I, help, I help anyone and everyone. <laughs> and then I was like, I've just made a lot of money doing this. Yeah. Wait a second, maybe I don't need a niche. And I also um, heard the quote that you shouldn't choose a niche until it slaps you in the face, which I kind of love because now I feel like I have a clearer kind of general direction. I help people take action. But even that I've, you know, I've not chosen an audience that that's to. It's not, wow. you know, only working moms or something. And it's mm. not also for one specific goal. I'm yeah. really solving a, a problem that I'm passionate about, but it doesn't feel like it sits in a particular niche. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, so I've been running this company five years and only this year have I started to do something for a particular niche and that's fathers. So I've literally just started a, a father's group for six weeks and we're going to journey and I'm going to help good men become even better fathers. And that kind of niche found its way to my manifestation just through my my passion and my love for for good men and, and, and a seeing a need for that group. Um, mm. You know, but it's, yeah. Uh, that but that it's emerged rather than being f forced is what i'm right yeah exactly so instead of picking a niche it, it just came like it eventually emerged just made sense yeah maybe it slapped me in the face maybe it slapped me in the heart and said if you don't do this who will <laughs> <laughs> exactly one of the things that um i absolutely what, what captured my heart and my mind for your page was the was the one that I think you pinned to the top of your Instagram page. It went absolutely viral, you know, um, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram. I'm not on Pinterest. I'm sure it went nuts there too. Um, it's the one about showing up daily and what that really looks like. Tell us a little mm. bit about what inspired that image particularly. Yeah, the inspiration came from the fact that I blogged every day for two wow. years. And I set out to do that. I started out because this was... I actually started out doing it as part of overcoming my procrastination because I had a blog for three or four years before that. And I had posted maybe 10 posts in total. And my best friend used to have to actually come over and press the button for publish. Like she's like, I'm fed up with this. Like we're just publishing it. Yeah. And it, I would put out so few. And so I decided, okay, what well, I'm, I'm going to do is I'm going to blog every day for two years. I was inspired by a man named Sean West who said, if you know showing up every day for two years can solve all your problems and I was like okay I'm gonna give it a shot and he says as well the reason most people don't do this is because it's that that advice is not microwavable can just pop it in and easily solve it so I showed up every day for two years but mm. what I think people imagine when I say I blogged for two years was that I wrote a thousand words a day chucked it up put it you know sent it out onto all the platforms did everything really mm. all I did was I showed up on my blog in some way every day. And sometimes that was one sentence or even there's, there's one, one blog post that says, please hold for more. That was the blog post. And I was like, you you know what? That's what I have to offer today. I don't have a lot. And sometimes I did have those thousand word blog posts, but I was showing up a little bit every single day, yeah. no matter what I had to get. If I had 2% to give, I was giving that. And I think that takes the pressure off the idea yeah. that you need to show up 100% all the time to have yeah. consistency. Consistency is really just about just doing something and then you're not breaking the chain. Yeah, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to be in the corner of, of um, 
business women who are also mums and you know there's this expectation on self that they want to do it all can't do it all and and um you know one of my my favorite questions i've learned to ask them is what is right for now oh that's what is what is right for now you know because um I understand that yeah, there's a book called The One Thing, isn't there? And, and and in that, it talks about if you want to achieve excellence, you have to do one thing and do it well. And that just simply means that not just one thing and like you focus on your business and you leave your family to go hungry, but it means in this moment, what am I focusing on? Am I doing that with all of my intentionality? Oh, so good. I teach a process in my coaching program called Best Friend Calendaring. Mm. And it's similar to this idea. And what you do is the broad scope of it is to set up your calendar like you're setting it up for your best friend. So you would never make your best friend do something evil, like 12 hours of work in a row with no breaks. You're <laughs> going to make a calendar that looks really nice. But you, the beauty of having it on, everything on a calendar and not on a big long to-do list is that all you have to do is the thing that is scheduled for that exact moment right. and nothing else. There's yeah. no you know, oh, look, I mean, I used to spend more time looking at my list and deciding what to do next than I would be executing the things on the list. And so once it's just the, that one thing in front of you, right now, that's all you got to do. You don't have to feel guilty. There's nowhere to go. There's nothing else to do. It's just that thing. So freeing. I've seen you talk about the power of a to-don't list. Yes. Yeah. Why might that be useful for someone who might live their life by to-do lists? Yeah, so, man... I mean, I love a good list. I'm not hating on the list people because I get it. I, I still write lists. I just don't use them as a productivity tool. I don't keep them. I then transfer everything to a calendar. Yeah. But a to-don't list I do actually keep because it's very easy to check off that I didn't do that. On my to-don't list is like, I'm not going to write a book right now. That's just mm. I one day I really want to, but I've got it sitting there. To-don't right now is to write a book. And to have that means that I can... I'm not like feeling this pressure of, oh, I really need to do that thing. I've put it to the side. One day this will get done. But for right now, it is not being done on purpose. Yes, because if we haven't intentionally decided not to do that, subconsciously, it's still on our list and we're carrying it around. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. So that's holding they... it in your head. Yeah. So you're actually giving yourself almost freedom it's like carrying the bags of shopping right and i guess you get to put a bag down yeah you just get to put the bag down and the bag doesn't disappear you get to see it like it's over there we're going yeah, to put it down yeah, over yeah. there where we can still see it so we're not like panicked because i think what often happens is that feeling of like oh yeah i was going to do that and then we get distracted off kind of yeah. thinking about how we're one day going to write a book but instead we just controlling what you can we're not going to write a book right now yeah i love that that's really powerful uh, before we move on from the word consistency, I think people forget that they're in control of defining what consistency means. Some people that, you know, the Gary V's of this world post five times a day on 16 different platforms. Like, But for me, I think I'm very consistent. And I think a lot of people recognize my consistency because we're. I think this episode is is 199. And Ooh. yeah, so we're talking about four years worth of every week. But my consistency is once a week and I just haven't stopped you know and, and so it ha doesn't have to be three times a day it doesn't have to be every single day I think if people took more control over what consistency meant to them that because I think sometimes there's a uh, <laughs> a well-intentioned optimism 
which then doesn't become sustainable. Right. We try to set our goals or our plans from our most productive self. And we're like, yeah, you can easily put out five posts because you feel like putting out five posts today. And then tomorrow comes and you you fall off, right? You have to set a maximum as well as a minimum of what you're going to do. Actually set like, you know what? I'm never going to post. I actually do this with my podcast. I don't put out more than one episode a week because Mm -hmm. if I do, I could like, I'm like, oh, I could have this person on. I could do this idea. But then some weeks I'm not going to feel like putting any out because I've just done so many, right? hundred percent. I would definitely agree that consistency i mean mean, oftentimes as well when we think about consistency we're imagining it all looking like almost we're replacing consistency with perfection like Mm -hmm. perfect fonts perfect audio for example in your podcast or the perfect like i have right now one picture then one um carousel with one picture and one carousel and like this idea that it has to be like that and i was thinking about it earlier today like what if i just stopped posting like that i don't have to do that if it's if it's working that's great but if it's stopping me for in sure. some reason then you know that's just a consistency that doesn't that's just a perfectionism in disguise yeah yeah that stops a lot of people it does. And, and I think what you've just said there is the gift of that discomfort is an invitation to do something differently. Yeah. There's almost always a better way. Yeah. That's my belief. Yeah. You're a certified high performance coach. I My background is in the police. And there's a lot of talk about high-performing teams, high-performing cultures. And I think the thing that they really got wrong was that they confused two different types of of high performance, in my perspective. And I'd love to know yours in a second. They confused this desire to be high-performing over the long term, consistent, um, continuous improvement, excellence, And they confused it with the fact that they're an emergency service, which requires that type of elite high performance in the moment. Usain Bolt runs 100 meters in eight, nine seconds. And they Mm -hmm. kind of wanted both. Is the Mm -hmm. sustained continuous improvement over the long term whilst also being able to deal when there hits the fan. And And I think merging those two perspectives ended up burning people out because there was nothing more to give. There was no more capacity and capability left within the system or within the people to achieve either the high performance in the moment or the high performance over the long term Mm. someone that's trained and coached in in high performance specifically what does the words high performance mean to you yeah well the distinction that i would start by making is i think that high performance in the moment that you're talking about is peak performance where you peak And a peak is not supposed to stay at the peak. Otherwise, that's not a peak. It drops again. And so if you're going for peak performance, that's great. That's the Usain Bolt stuff. Sprinters peak, boom, boom, boom. Marathoners, they're high performers a lot across, you know, I mean, if we're talking specifically within a race, across a longer term. And so for me, high performance isn't about having that peak. And it's certainly not about doing more. I actually posted a post the other day that the, the caption was, how to do less. And the first comment immediately was, this isn't high performance. Well, yes, it is. It's yeah. the, It absolutely is high performance because when you cut out all the fluff that you're doing, like, for example, 
making your bed. I know a lot of people are big fans of making your bed and if it works for you, amazing. But for the people like me who feel like that is just a task that first thing in the morning, immediately they're failing at. Mm. Nobody wants to start off their day on the foot of, you know, having failed at something. I just stopped making myself do it. Sometimes I do it, sometimes I don't, but I stopped making it be a thing that I need to mm. be a high performer at across the board all the time. And I make my bed and I do everything right. Mm. It's like, no, that's not one of the things. That's not what makes me successful, whether or not mm. I not a bed that's Yeah, it, make, it makes me laugh because um, I think on talking about the 5am club, I think JK Rowling says, I wake up at 10. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I, and I so guess what good. it comes down to is that is that one size doesn't fit all, one size fits one. And so it, I, I guess the, the common denominator is self-awareness. Mm. Knowing exactly what works for you. I think when we look at why we do the things, it's really important. So I also see a lot of people really strive to have a perfect morning routine. Sure. You know, and they're doing oil swishing, oil pulling in their mouths, and they're doing flossing, and they're doing workouts and journaling and hand squeezing lemons. And there's all sorts of different things we're supposed to do, journaling and all all the things. But ultimately, what that the idea behind why you're doing all of those things is to set yourself up with a mindset for the right day. So why don't we just jump straight to that? My favorite thing to do in the morning is to lie in bed with my eyes still closed and think, what do I want to think today? Yeah. And I just jump through all of that. I'm not working out. I'm not reading. I'm like, I mean, this might be like, people think, what do you mean? You're supposed to be a high performer. You're supposed to get up and, you know, do it all. I'm like, no, I wake up and I just think about what do I want to think? And I just skip all of that. Yeah, because the, because, if we're too busy focused on what we're doing, we're not being. Mm-hmm. And I think all things flow from our being, you know, and, and I've been fortunate enough to have people like um, Deborah Rosman, who's the CEO of a company called HeartMath Institute. And what she talks about, uh, I see not as you're familiar with HeartMath. So what she talks about is that, you know, we gain access to better levels of creativity, wisdom, just, you know, uh, uh, particularly for my job in the past which is about leading team of analysts you know critical thinkers problem solvers that becomes more possible when you create coherence between the heart and the mind because you gain Mm. more access to the prefrontal cortex meaning that you're actually more logical rational and good at problem solving through your state of being through your state of doing less Mm. i love that Mm. It's funny, isn't it? Because um, how often in business they go, "Oh yeah, well, let's let's workshop this, let's uh, let's brainstorm, let's workshop it," and it's like it's almost like forcing creativity, forcing innovation. There's hierarchies, there's expectation, there's pressure, there's there's task lists that aren't being done in the day job because you're in a workshop, and all of it is just restricting our prefrontal cortex and our natural abilities to like you know that innovation and inspiration flow. Hundred percent. Yeah, I think we are oftentimes just focus on all the wrong things. Yeah, it's not that we can't focus on some of those things, but it's bringing it back to that idea of the one thing, really focusing on what actually matters and asking how that's going to you know get you the results. Maybe the workshopping it isn't really what you need right now. Yeah, and and I don't think people take a moment to slow down and understand the significance of what you just said around. I sometimes I lie in my bed. I close my eyes and I think about how I want to think that day because that the opposite of that 
is the first thing is I open my eyes and I check my phone. Mm-hmm. And I've already outsourced most of my thinking. I'm, I'm receiving information. <laughs> yeah. 100%. yeah, yeah. So absolutely. So I'm receiving tons of information that's telling me stuff. Whereas you've asked yourself a question, which is about bringing that through you for the rest of the day. Mm-hmm. It's like you start off creating rather than consuming just in the thoughts that you're thinking. Yeah. Yeah. You said earlier about master, that's that master of, I'm the master of thinking of what they're thinking. And it, but even that is then you start to become the master of your own thinking. Meaning, I guess you're more shielded against the views and the opinions of of other people because your inner guidance, your inner voice goes, this is what I'm going to do today. Yeah, you've primed yourself. I used to actually um, journal every single morning on three questions. So after I've just said all about not journaling, I'll ask myself these questions, still sometimes ask them in the shower. Sometimes I just still write them out. Um, But the three questions are, what result do I want today? Who do I need to be? to create that result. And now that I already am that person, what do I believe? What do I do? What do I say? What do I eat? What do I wear? And I'm starting Mm. it off priming myself for the person like that I want to show up as so that already, as soon as, you know, then I open my email later on and I get, you know, some bad news or something. And I already know how I'm going to respond to that because I've actually planned my thoughts ahead of time. Oh yeah. This is the time to think the thought, I know exactly what to do, for example, as a thought that I love. I wake up every morning and think, you know, I'm going to think today that I know exactly what to do. So when that email comes in and I'm like, ah, I'm like, I know exactly what to do. It's okay. Mm. You, um, you were once an employee, you were once employed and you, you've gone on this journey of becoming a coach, finding something that you're passionate about, finding you've got a cause to contribute to, um, Talk to us a little bit about that process. I think one of the things I really liked you said the other day is that, you know, you can see the journey. You can go back and look at the first YouTube video, you know, and I have the same kind of perspective, like first interview, I look back and I think, ah, you know, I've come a long way <laughs> and it's for all to see. And it's, it's, it's wonderful and it's amazing, but I'd love to know a bit more about your journey and, and how you've come to build this, uh, this wonderful business that you you lead. Yeah. I mean, it's so funny when you say that I was an employee because I think back and I'm like, was I an employee? Yeah, I guess I was. And it, but I never set out to be an employee. I always wanted to work for since I was about 16 years old. I wanted to work for myself. I just never, I was like trying to be that person before I was. So I was only ever employed as like a means to kind of pay from while I could work on my business. Mm-hmm. Um, so I studied psychology and philosophy, and a lot of people will say, oh yes, psychology, that's great. That's a great background for coaching. And actually philosophy has been the best background for coaching because philosophy, I think coaching is applied philosophy. Mm. You're questioning the premise of the truths about the way that you're thinking in the world. And you, you know, you're know, you able to rethink the models of how the world should be. And that's really what mm. I think philosophy is about. So I studied psychology and philosophy and then thought at the time I was going to become a psychologist. And then I met some wonderful psychologists who I adore and think the work is amazing, but I realized it was going to be super heavy stuff. And I was like, I don't know. I kind of envisioned like helping people like do the stuff that lit them up, not the stuff, not get out of the stuff that just kept them down. And while I think that there's balance, I think there are two sides of the same coin. 
I wanted to do that, but I hadn't even heard of coaching. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go out and try this entrepreneurial journey. I tried a bunch of different things. I was a travel blogger, a fashion blogger. I started a t-shirt company. Um, I had all of these different things that all were total flops and the for a great reason. I'm so happy that they were because they led me to finding coaching. And when I found coaching, I was like, it wasn't like, oh my gosh, this is it moment. It was a a gradual process. Mm. Um, And I went and got certified and I thought being certified was just going to break down all the doors and I was going to be bulldozed over with clients. I was wrong. (laughs) I ended up getting myself into a bit of debt because I quit my job and was like, this is it. I'm just going to have clients now. And I didn't. And the marketing journey took me two years to figure out how to get consistent clients. Mm. And I mean, and even I want to say that that's a myth in itself. Consistent clients for me looks like my highest ever month and then nothing the next month. Mm -hmm. Like it Mm -hmm. goes, it it fluctuates. Um, But because it's consistent in the long term, I guess. Yes. and so it took me a really long time. I'm not somebody who has like a, I quit my job and made six figures in six weeks. It's like, I quit my job and made no money for three months and then very little money for two years while I worked in a call center answering phone calls about cats all day. That was pretty much what my entrepreneurial journey was. But a lot of what was standing in my way was that I wasn't actually doing the things that I knew that I could do. It was, I was trying some things, but I would always try something and I kind of back out as soon as the the first time, like, for example, if I were to have started a podcast, I would have done one episode and then be like, oh, it didn't work. So I'll try maybe what I need to do is YouTube. And then maybe what I need to do is a webinar. And then I would, I would jump all over the place. And once I fully went, okay, I'm going to, with the help of a coach that I worked with, mm-hmm. I'm going to commit to just talking with people about their problems. I just talked to hundreds and hundreds of people about their problems. And every single day I was showing up and offering to help people. And that's how my business eventually built up. But I think you could probably do it with webinars and podcasts and YouTube and all of those as well. If you just stick to one thing, I think that would be effective. Yeah, That was kind of quit? my journey. So why didn't you quit? Oh, that's so interesting. I think I quit a little bit every day and just kept coming back. <laughs> yeah, right. So... <laughs> across the Stop long this. term I can't do it anymore yeah 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 I give up right like oh. I mean I never considered quitting on the on the big scale because the alternative to me was going and working in a job that yeah. wasn't inspiring to me but I definitely I quit constantly all the little things I would quit I'd start an email list and I'd quit the email list I'd start YouTube I'd quit YouTube all, all the time the whole way I just kept I reduced the amount I was quitting as I went on. <laughs> I'm laughing in an ironic amusement as someone who's who who knows exactly the heart of what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> I just I've never heard it said like I quit a little bit every day. Yeah, and it is that, isn't it? Sometimes I sit here and I'm like, what am I doing? Like, whoa. <laughs> and then mm-hmm. I sit here the next day. Oh, back again. Yes. Yeah. And I think if we can all allow ourselves to do that. I, I think we have this kind of idea that you need to sustain motivation, you need to sustain productivity all the time. And I'm kind of like, what if you don't need to though? What if you can just get really good at coming back to it? So it kind of, I think that's what people see from me. They're like, you're so motivated. You're always putting out stuff. Yeah. I'm like, I think I'm just so good at coming back to being motivated that you don't, it doesn't look like I'm stopping being motivated. It's like yeah, tiny little yeah. chops of motivation, but they're just so put together now that you can't see that I'm actually losing motivation, like 
you know, halfway through writing a post and then yeah. getting it back and, and two minutes later and then I'm back in. And that comes down to the misunderstanding of what what motivation really is, isn't it? It's just a wave of energy. You know, some people, some people, I think Mark Ronson put in his book, The Do Something Principle, which was one of my favorites because it people think that motivation is a requirement for showing up. And actually, invariably, it's the result. It, it's often the result of having shown up, being inspired by your results, and then wanting to do more of that. Mm, exactly. Once you've, once you've taken action, you're thinking, oh, this is great. And that thought creates the motivation. Yeah. But I think um, there's some kind of motivation. It might not be that joyful, inspired motivation, but you're when you take action, you're motivated by something. So it's not the typical motivation we're thinking of, but it might be like, um, the motivation to not be in pain or the motivation to just get it over and done with or something. There's something driving you. It's just not that like that exciting, inspiring, joyful motivation that we're all hoping we'll have all yeah. the time. It's like the marshmallow test, isn't it? It's it's almost being able to say that I'm motivated to get the feeling on the other side of doing the thing that's difficult. Right. Yes, that's such a good way of putting it. I'm not motivated to do it. I'm motivated to get the thing. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I am. Um, I, I can't remember who said this before, but it's almost like if you want to stay motivated and inspired, stop whilst you're enjoying it. And, mm-hmm. and the reason they said that is that because when you stop whilst you're still enjoying it, as you go away, you continue to think about it. You continue to think, oh, I can't wait to get back to it. Um, I can't say I get there. I mean, sometimes I'm not, I'm, I get to the point where I go too far and it's just like, oh, and that's going to knock into my next day of energy. But um, yeah, what do you think about that concept, stopping whilst you're enjoying it? I love that, especially what you're talking about from the knocking into next day. Right. My mum always says, you know, you're stealing tomorrow's energy if you Ooh. stay up too late or you, right. you know, you're just actually stealing from yourself in the yes. future. And there's a great um, story that Greg McEwen told on his podcast. So I'm going to attempt to tell it here badly, but it's about the... Uh, the race to get to the um and the south pole essentially and there was a british team and there was a norwegian team and the british team were like we're gonna go as hard as we possibly can (laughs) we're gonna smash it out we're gonna push 50 miles a day and they were struck by bad weather and after they pushed for 50 miles for a few days in a row now they couldn't even push through the weather at all and they had to rest for ages and ages and on the other hand the Norwegian team leader was like okay what we're going to do is we're going to go 15 miles a day I don't care if we can go more we're just going to do 15 miles that's the max we're going to do and then they were like kept doing this we're able to keep going but they were three days from the the actual south pole where they was trying to get to and they could do it in one day. You could see that they could push. And they didn't know where the British team was at the time. There was not, it's not like they were Instagramming them. Like they didn't know what was going on. So they could easily be just, you know, they could risk their chances if they don't push this last day. But the leader was like, nope, we're going to stick to it. We're going to just go the 15 miles. And they ended up getting to the South Pole 33 days before the British team. Oh, come on. That Isn't is that literally, wild? That is literally modern day tortoise in the hair. Yes, exactly. That's such a good example. Yeah. So why don't we get that? Why don't why why do we why do we not live our lives that way? Mm. 
my theory, because I experienced this, is we want to do show ourselves that we can do the best we can. We want to think that our most productive self is always going to be there. So when you have one of those days that you're like, yeah, I can go 50 miles or I can put out five posts, it feels so good to hit your head on the pillow at night and be like, I crushed it, put out so much. But because you're stealing from tomorrow, you then, or from next week or whenever the, it's going to catch up with you. Yeah, it doesn't work. But in the moment, it feels like it does. You're like, this is great. Why would I, why would I not if I can yeah and it's literally what you've got on that that graphic on your page which is that expectation we're going to hit peak performance every single day mm. I, I i've never won i've never been one to share the advice of you know mandate oh yeah you have to do a morning routine or, because i think for me it's all about self-awareness but in my own experience the mornings give more than they take and i think the evenings take more than they give and what i really mean by that is that sometimes um, if you don't look after yourself in the morning, you wake up and everything becomes a depletion of your energy, time and focus. So what we then seem to do in the evening is a bit, a bit, more, bit more protective. It's like, do not invade my time. This is my time. We end up staying later because we want more peace and not have to do anything or talk to anybody. Then comes yeah. the midnight snacks. And then comes what? Later mornings, getting up, lethargic energy. And, and so that, in my observation has become a reason to prioritize the morning rather than the evening, albeit my most creative energy is definitely like 11 o'clock at night when I should definitely. <laughs> well, I have a theory that no one else seems to talk about and I've tried to Google it. I've tried to ask people about it. I just get crickets online, but every once in a while, someone says to me that they get this and I have a feeling you might understand. I've coined the phrase creative insomnia. Because what keeps me up at night isn't worrying about what's going to happen. It's like 11 p.m. or, you know, one in the morning, suddenly it will be like, oh, I should do a documentary. I should do a documentary. <laughs> and then I'm like, I've got to get this idea out and I'll just, you know, plan everything. Or I'll have an idea of a, you know, a podcast episode and it'll be so cool. And at night, I'm just so fired up about it mm. that until I feel like I've got everything out of my head I just can't go to sleep so I'm, I'm like writing furiously at three o'clock in the morning um and then oftentimes I'll wake up the next morning and look at what I've written and think I feel so seen this? right now oh yeah I've been <laughs> 100% albeit mine's um mine's on my notes pages on my phone so there's this big beam of light and my wife's like what are you doing I, and I and I'll put my phone down and then I'll try and go back to sleep and I'll be like no 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 there's something more and it's almost like there's an, it's not an anxiety, but there's almost like, a, no, no, you've not quite written. There's, there's this thing. And I'm like, what is it that I'm trying to even document? What is it? What is the idea? And like you say, you look at it in the morning, you're like, dude, like, what, what was that all about? Right. I think this kind of brings in an idea that I think of a lot, which is what you're going to gain by doing that or what you, what you might lose by putting your phone down and not picking it up is probably worth putting putting your phone down and not doing it like even if occasionally you would have missed something great mm. what you're going to gain on the long term from not being up at three o'clock in the morning all the time doing that is probably better for you than like the two good ideas that's going to come out of that the whole year creative insomnia 
Yeah. But I'm working on that, right? Like I, that's certainly not something I, I'm <laughs> excellent at doing. When I have an idea, it's like it just comes. In. Elizabeth Gilbert talks about that. Do you know Elizabeth yes, Gilbert? Yes, yeah, I'm familiar with her work. Yeah. Have you read Big Magic? I have. It's her book about. Highly yeah, she talks it. about that kind of like it just comes over you. Like the yeah. creativity is like like a Dobby the house elf, and it just arrives and it's here, and you can't yeah. control when it comes. Yeah, and and the thing is, you know, what she will say is, if you're not a, a willing participant with the idea, it will go to someone who is. Mm-hmm. So he's almost like, well, what was it? What was it trying to tell me? What am I? What am I supposed to? Yeah. And, but I think uh, but you it, can think about that like it's like, oh, I've got to get through me so that it doesn't go to someone else, or you can relax and be like, you know what? Someone else has got this because I've just joined a dance class um, that. I had for years been trying to set up like this. I, in my head, I'm like, I'm going to do this great dance class. It's going to involve like, it's going to be like soul cycle meets dancing and coaching. It's going to be this, like, we're going to coach and we're going to dance and it's going to be so motivational. And then I just met this woman who does it. And I'm like, this is fantastic. I can go to the class. I don't have to set it up. Yeah, yeah. And I get to enjoy it. And lots of other people get to enjoy it. I'm so glad that idea was like, all right, you've taken too long. We're going to Zoe instead. And Zoe did it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, 100%. Abundance heart for sure. Um, I have a phrase here at Always Better Than Yesterday, and it's called heart print. And heart print for me is about the legacy of our heart-centered interactions, of our heart work, bringing that thing that we really care about into the world in the service of other people. And in some way, they get left better there's some access to some form of transformation that maybe wouldn't have been made possible if it wouldn't have been through the way that we love people and the way that we serve people. What do you think your heart print will be? Mm. It's interesting because I think that it's multifaceted. It's hard for me to put one thing in and say one thing. Um, The first thing that comes to my mind is is compassion, which is such an interesting one because my business isn't centered around you know teaching compassion, but I actually have a lot of side projects that I do separate from my business to try to support and volunteer that I keep completely offline. Um, but to be honest, my calling isn't even my business. My calling is outside of that. And I do other things in my life to support um, helping other beings and that to me is really where my where my heart lies mm-hmm. even though there are aspects of my business where my heart is so like I mean I'm so in this I love it but I I was going I was going down the route where I would be a social activist actually for mm-hmm. a while I thought I would be a social activist but again it was that heaviness and so I decided that what I would do is I was going to I'm going to do the thing that I'm great at and that I love which is helping people take action. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to cr- get all of the um, joy from that and be able to use that joy to then go out and help the, and, and money as well. I have money to actually give. And so I'm going to use, I'm going to fill my own cup with that. And I'm going to go out and, and help in another way rather than depleting my cup with the social activism that I wanted to do mm-hmm. and then not having any money or resources or anything to help with. So I love yeah. that. who needs your help? Oh, I'm really passionate about animal rights. I think that the animals don't have a voice and in a lot of situations, they're not being treated at all okay. And we just disregard them because they have different bodies to us, which is something that over time you can look at 
racism, um, you know, uh, misogyny, it's all to do with because you don't have the right body and the same thing is happening to the animals. And so I'm really, really passionate about helping them. Desensitized. You know, I've got a little dog and sometimes I drift off and I think this is a, this, I think sometimes this is a byproduct of seeing things as souls rather than the kind of the physical manifestation, like the things I can touch. Um, and this might be a bit bizarre beyond people, but I'm going to say it anyway. I look at my dog and I think she's got eyes. She's got a little nose, a mouth, teeth. She's got a tongue. She breathes oxygen. She's got lungs. She's got all the organs I seem to have. Um, I, there are so many similarities. And like, uh, just fundamentally understanding that if we all came from this big bang and this evolution like how is it we've got all of the same features and i've gone completely off topic now but it's like when we start to look at what you know there are far more similarities than there are differences and i think if we continue to put our differences uh front and center we'll have continued division and Mm. i think one of the core reasons that we are here on this planet is to is to use what we have to love and serve all of creation not just other humans not just ourselves but that includes animals creation and nature yes i'm so with you yeah 100 percent. because if they're hurting we're all hurting i really love that saying that if they're hurting we're all hurting i it kind of it came to me that how could I possibly ever ask for equality as a woman to a man if I'm not providing it as a woman to an animal? If I'm not, if how can we, if we are being the, you know, the perpetrator of of harm just to another, how can I expect that someone won't perpetrate harm on me? And so I think that it's not just, you know, an animal animal rights isn't a separate issue. It's a humanitarian issue. It's a feminist issue. It's a all of the different types of issues it's all the same thing we're all just talking about how can you do less harm yeah there's a wonderful book called power versus force by david hawkins and in that he's almost got like a hierarchy of energetic vibrations consciousness effectively he's mapped consciousness and what he says is that there are some high vibrational frequency energies love peace gratitude enlightenment acceptance and there are some low vibe in terms of fear guilt shame anger And he says that anger can be a gateway to some of the higher frequencies because we are angry at certain situations. And as long as we use that anger to create equality and unity, then it can be used as a force for good. But too often in in, in the world of activists, they use anger as a way of guilting, shaming and creating further division because it, it creates opposition. It creates you know and unfortunately i guess the heart of activism is love is acceptance it is equality and unity and and i hope mm-hmm. that that be the heart set and the spirit of of anyone that is an activist because it's about creating that level of equality rather than upmanship yeah it's a really interesting issue to me because as an activist i feel that you know, a lot of people say to me, you know, well, you just have to lead by example, you know, and 
while I think that's great, I don't know anybody who has suddenly gone and become an animal rights activist or started changing their views on animal rights because I led the way. Like, I wish that there were, but what actually happens is it comes from those compassionate, intense, like challenging conversations. They're not like without the guilt, without the shame, but they come from um, not, they, in my experience, don't come from just well, if I'm just lovely to people, everyone will be lovely to people. It yeah. really does have to be the yeah. activist part in active, like the active and activist. Um, but I do completely agree that it has to come from a compassionate place yeah. because otherwise you just completely miss people. Like yeah. you just, if we just totally don't communicate. Mm, John Martini yesterday said to me, um, he says that growth is on the border of support and challenge and and i think that as a as a visualization is growth in terms of a world where there are better you know, love and compassion towards animals comes at the point where we support people in being able to do that and when we challenge those who aren't doing that yes to raise people's ambition for what they can do actually there's an influence model that brendan bashad talks about in his mm-hmm. research which is to influence anyone, you have to raise their ambition. You have to um, role model the way mm. yourself. Mm. And there's one more that's completely escaped me right now. But the, the, those two are particularly important um, to really raise people's ambition for what what they could do, and really also role model. It's not you can't just simply role model the way. Mm-hmm. You have to also be raising people's ambition to to want to do better in that in that way too one of my favorite questions from brendan's book high performance habits is who needs your a game Mm. who needs your a game so a i'm going to ask that question of our listeners right now just sit down and start to think about who needs your a game today who's going to benefit from your a game and i'm going to ask that question of you as well is who needs your a game it's so good i love brendan brashad's journal that he has and anytime i answer that question the irony is it's, I feel like I'm always answering. It's my future self. Mm, she yes. needs me on my A game today because without me being on my A game, she's not going to get what she wants. Yeah, that's the one. I have the black yeah, one. What color do you have? I have black. Black Ooh. as well. And red. And red. Black and red. She, uh, do you know what? I absolutely love that future self because... That person only gets brought into the world through who we're being in this moment. And I'm so grateful to my past self. Anytime right. I think about her, she, I am the future self of her. And uh, if she didn't do all of the work to, I wouldn't mm-hmm. be here today. You know, she developed me into who I am. And I'm just so grateful that she did 730 days of blogging in a row. And the, what drove her was right. thinking about this version of me, this exact version of me today not the version of me in you know 10 years she was actually thinking about the version of me who's just kind of completed the challenge where she what she'd be thinking and so without that I wouldn't be who I am today so I think my future self is always and when I think about showing up for my future self it's always for the highest purpose you know I'm not sure my future self doesn't want me to hurt anyone my future self doesn't want me to have any bad times I saw Peter Crone recently talk about manifestation. Many people get it wrong. People think it's out there and it's in the future, but manifestation comes from our being in this moment. 
you know, and it's like, who are we being in this moment? And everything that then comes to us is a manifestation of just who we're being. And um, uh, one of the things that kind of blows my mind is that to collapse time and space, your visualization of the future version of you can literally kick your ass in this moment. <laughs> they can literally keep you accountable to say, if I'm going to create this person, this is what they would tell me. This is what they need me to do. This is what they need me to prioritize. So it's literally collapsing time and space and your future self can become a real thing. If we give it that time, space and energy to think about it clearly enough and visualize it, we can use the force of that human being in this moment. Mm, so good. 100%. And I, I, on that manifestation topic, I always used to think that you were kind of putting it out there to that the future you out there yeah. um and my understanding at least from 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 what i understand about manifestation is that ultimately it's not about sending out magic to something out there but putting the magic within your own self yeah. like your brain is the mini universe that you're sending out to the universe mm -hmm that is what then you show up as the person you want to be you take action and then you of course you're going to see the result that is exactly what happens when you put the manifestation in your own brain in fact there's a thing called the reticular activating system where you're just you know when you think about something you start seeing it everywhere because your brain is automatically doing that looking and filtering out for you so that's kind of how the manifest ma manifesting happens and not so much like you put it out and then some magical force perhaps there's a magical force out there doing it but my best understanding of manifestation yeah, is I, that you are the magical force i think that magical force is is the 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 energy we put out from our heart so if we're if we're putting out messages from our heart that we don't have all that we need and we're in, we're inadequate in some way because we don't have these things well then you're you're not gonna that ain't getting those things ain't gonna change that heart set and and, and i i love this idea that um if you don't appreciate what you have, more of the same will never be enough. Mm. You know, I saw someone posting today is, oh, you know, I'm going to, I'm trying to inspire millions of people, but I've, I've, here I am with my measly 450 subscribers. <laughs> I'm like, if you don't appreciate the 450 you got, 450 million ain't going to do it for you either. Mm -mm. There's always going to be more because you'll, you'll be looking at, you'll be looking at the person who's got 500 million. Right. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I want to be super respectful and conscious of your time. Thank you so much for um, your time, your energy, the the wonderful things that you put in the world. I think you know, what a gift, you know, e e even though, you know, your, a lot of your paid services will be dedicated one on one time, people can still benefit and be transformed by the possibility that you're creating just in a thought process, just in a reflective image so so powerful i think that's why it's really resonating it's why it's really connecting with people i think it's why your posts get shared all around the world because in some way you're tapping into something that is both a universal truth and has the power to to transform um thinking and then when we transform mm -hmm. that thinking it leads to some form of different action which means that you are creating new possibilities for people with every post that you put up Thank you. That's such a cool way of thinking about it. I often think about how 
there's kind of the model for business, which is like you get all of the people in so that, you know, a few of them will buy from you. Whereas I kind of think of it the other way around. Like I have a few people work with me one-on-one so that I can serve more people. Like this is the real, like what, anyone who's listening right now, this is, this is it. This is exactly what I'm not holding anything back. Like we're having the, this is the conversation you could decide today that completely changes your life if you want to let it. Love that. I'll share all your links in the in the show notes and I'll be honored if you'd leave us with a final thought from your good self. Mm, okay, a final thought is if you want to get yourself to take action, you have to choose a new thought, an antidote thought, something that will overcome the thought that you're, whatever the thought is that's stopping you right now and you just have to practice it ultimately what's going to change everything if you can pick an antidote thought that's going to change your whole life pick a new one like the one i was saying before i know exactly what to do that will change everything i love that thank you so much my friend thank you it's so good to be on Hey, my friends, thank you for making it to the end. I hope that our time spent together today has left you a little bit better than before you push play. I'd really appreciate if you just took a moment to leave a review to allow me to meet more people where they are and hopefully leave them a little bit better too. If you're curious to know how I, through Always Better Than Yesterday, can serve you, your team, your organisation, then head to alwaysbetterthanyesterday.com to connect. And while you're there, let me know one or two things that you're going to do as a result of listening to this conversation. I absolutely love hearing your thoughts, your reflections and the things that this spark in your own heart and mind. If you want more insights from my heart and mind, I do send out short episodes on a Monday, Tuesday, Thursday and Friday. And again, I hope that they serve you well. I appreciate you listening. I'm Ryan Hartley, host of the Always Better Than Yesterday podcast, a podcast for heart-centered leaders just like you. Keep leading, my friends. Always love.